want to take your attention, if I could, to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 66. Pastor wanted to know if I wanted, if I was okay with not having a lot of praise and worship and all that. I said, yeah, I'd be fine. We got a lot to read tonight, so uh, the Lord knew all about it. Some of you will get your weekly Bible reading in tonight, and you won't feel guilty at the end of this week. And some of you will get your monthly Bible reading done. And some of us may even finish out the year with what we're going to read, because there is a plethora of verses we're about to embark upon. Um, but each and every one of them are powerful. <clears throat> but I want to start with Isaiah chapter number 66, verse 6 uh, through 9. A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that hath rendered recompense to his enemies before she travailed, she brought forth. Notice that, before she travailed, she brought forth. Every woman that's ever given birth to a child knows that's a lie. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. And every woman that's ever given birth knows that's a lie. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in a day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed... Now, here's the correct order. She brought forth her children. She didn't have children until she travailed. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth? Shall I bring you to the point of delivering something and then abandon you at that point and not cause it to be born? Saith the Lord, shall I cause to bring forth and then shut the womb, saith God. A few months ago, some of you may have heard me talk a little bit about this topic before, but if you have, this simply means you need to hear it again, and I need to say it again, so I need to hear it too. But several months ago, I was praying, and I asked the Lord, I said, I, well, I said to him, I said, I can, I can sense that you're moving the pieces on the chessboard, as it were, and I can tell that you're repositioning the church. And as I said a little bit this morning, you'd have to be completely naive to think that we weren't living in treacherous times. Um, goods and services are being, um, I personally think they're being withheld intentionally. And of course, we're being told we can't get certain things off of the boats. And we've got ships, cargo ships full of cargo sitting in the water and uh, every port in the country, and um, Lord help us, what a mess. And I think probably that this is my opinion, but I think if you want to cause a person to surrender their individuality, then you create a need for them. And if that need is their survival, then you can get them to give up. You don't have to take anything. If my need, if my greatest need is survival, all that has to happen is there has to be something set in place that creates a need for me. Well, when you're hungry and the food's on that ship and all it takes is you surrendering, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, 
I'll give you my car if you'll give me that food. Well, now then, what you surrendered to get what you need to survive created another need. And it's just a vicious, mad cycle that goes on and on and on and on and on. Well, after all this time in this free country, why is all of this stuff starting to happen now? And, and you, can, you can get on Amazon and order your favorite uh, laundry detergent. Uh, there's a laundry detergent that I really like uh, because it smells good. And my wife and I like it, and we were, had come down to the end of a jug. So I, normally you can pop on there and order it today, and it'll be here tomorrow. And I had some slight heart palpitations because when I hit the order button, it popped up a little thing that said it'll be here in November. Ooh, 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 no, 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 that's not going to work. I'm going to need that before November. Well, stuff's just hard to get. So again, and, and of course, well, Brother Shelton, you're just, well, we're going to have to come, at some point in time, the world's going to have to surrender itself to a one-world system. And hostile takeovers are probably not going to be the way it's done. And the Antichrist ultimately at some point in time wants to be seen as the savior of the world. So how better to be seen as the savior of the world than to meet a need that he created in the first place? It's like, okay, I want you to come to me for the solution. So I'm going to create the solution first, then the problem. Then I'm going to introduce the problem to society and then I'll come back with the solution, and I'll be the greatest hero that you've ever uh, looked at. And But at the end of the day, he's the greatest villain because he gave the need to you in the first place. So my question is not so much about all of that, but why now? Why, why is all that happening to us now? The church has got to reach a point of division for the enemy to ever totally destroy it. So for us to be vulnerable... The enemy has tried to attack us with sickness. He's tried to attack the church with uh, political onslaughts. And I'm not even talking about current history. I'm, I'm talking about old, ancient history. If you think the attacks on the church have just started, then you need to look scripturally again. Uh, we have not yet been tied to poles and, f- and just flogged all day long. We haven't been burned at the stake. We haven't been put in the coliseums and drowned and fed to lions for the sport of it. We had not seen all that. But it has happened in our history. And the enemy has found out about the church that no matter how much pressure he puts on us from the outside, he has not yet been able. What's that old song we used to sing, Brother Barr? I've been through the fire, but the fire couldn't burn it. It's been through the flood, but the flood couldn't drown it. That's the church, the church triumphant. And the enemy knows, I cannot destroy the church from without. But I can get the church to destroy itself. Now, I'm not scared of much. Really, I'm not. I'm not scared of devils. But I don't like being surprised by snakes. If I see them before I get to them, that's fine. I'm good with it. Um, But when you happen up on one, and you're both surprised, mm, Jesus be a fence, that's all I can tell you. There's going to be cleanup on aisle three. I'm, I'm going to tear some junk up. There's going to be, I'm just going to make a mess right here. But if I see him before I get to aisle three, I'm going to cap him. Don't be talking to me about, oh, you got to preserve snakes. The devil is a lie. Mm-mm. 
I'm killing every one of them. They all look like 14-foot-long cobras to me. I don't care what they are. Oh, it's just a harmless rat snake. There's no such thing, Brother Spriggs, as a harmless nothing snake. Because even if it can't hurt me, it can make me hurt myself. Brother David Smith, he's been here before. Y'all know him. When I first met him, I found out he was scared to death of snakes. My Christianity and my upbringing took the night off. And Brother Shatwell and I and Brother Smith and a few others, we just went to Walmart to hang out. That's what you do in Oklahoma. So we went to Walmart. And I told Brother Shatwell, I said, hey, I'm going to buy a rubber snake and just bless that brother real good with it. Well, they didn't have any rubber snakes. So I'm a resourceful fellow. I went over into the fishing department and I had some worms. So I got some of them little rubber plastic worms, and he said, you think you'll be able to get him with that? I said, it depends on what his level of fear is. So I placed those worms in various locations. The last one I put in there, I thought, well, he'll see this one, but I'm going to do it anyway. I just threw it in the covers. I pulled his bedspread and the comforter and the sheet back, and I just threw the little worm right in there with him. Well, when he got in the bed that night, all the lights were off, just a little lamp, just a little dull lamp glowing in the corner. And uh, this was before he got on Weight Watchers or whatever he's starving himself with. And he got in the bed, and the next morning when I saw him, he was a hot mess. It was just, it was not a good night for the brother. But he got in that bed, and he pulled the covers over on him. He said, I had just about dozed off to sleep, and I felt something on my side of my belly. He, <laughs> he turned that lamp back on and pulled them covers back, and there that worm laid plastered on him. <laughs> Woo, he liked to tore the whole end of that house off. See, that little old worm wasn't harmless, but it almost made him hurt himself. And there's a lot of things that really, if we saw them coming and we knew ahead of time what the enemy was going to do, it really wouldn't have the effect on us. But there are some things that as harmless as they are, they'll make us destroy ourselves. The scripture we read said, is it, is it, this is just Arkansas paraphrase for a minute, but he said, is it really possible that a woman has a child and then travails, that she gives birth and then the pain shows up like a day or two later? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Trouble never comes after the child's born. Trouble never shows up after the harvest. The most fierce attacks of the enemy don't come after we've had our greatest breakthrough. It always comes when we go into travail. It always comes when the church begins to push and some some deep move of the Holy Ghost causes us to Pray like we have not been praying. Fast like we haven't been fasting. Be intent about our prayer like we have not been before. And when the enemy sees what is basically us going into a place of having contractions, and he knows the church is about to give birth to something, in that moment where that birthing begins, from that point until that child comes into the world, that mother's life is in the greatest jeopardy that it's ever been in. And she is closer to death than she's ever been in. 
In the church, we fail to realize that I think we do. It seems like our behavior indicates that we fail to realize that even though we're on the threshold of giving birth to one of the greatest moves of God that we've ever seen in wherever location we might be, at that same moment that we're that close to birthing something in the spirit, we're also closer to being able to be destroyed by the enemy than we've ever been before. Um, I, my, I have a great aunt uh, that at one time, according to what my grandmama told me, if I remember correctly, when she was born, her birth names, she was one name short of the Guinness Book of World Records. Um, and it was like every midwife in the room, they just named the child after every woman standing in the room that was part of the birthing process. And so when you looked at her, you realized, um, and you heard her name, and Lord help us, I can't even remember them all now. It was Aunt Mary was all we ever called her. But um, <clears throat> when you said her name, all of those names meant something. These were people that were part of that birth. The harvest should never have just one name on it other than his. If, if we're going to talk about the harvest from the vantage point of the church, all of us need to be involved in it. At some level or another, in some way or another, all of us have a role and a part to play in the harvest that God's trying to give the church. But in the moment that we're about to go into harvest, we become extremely vulnerable. So when you look around us in the world, you see all this stuff. And, and the comments that I made early on about the need being created and goods and services being withheld for whatever. Well, I can start talking about that and some of you just kind of roll your mental eyeballs and say, oh my God, there's another one of those conspiracy nut jobs. And then the other part of us says, you know what, I believe that. That makes sense to me and I've been believing. I'm glad somebody said that out loud. Well, guess what it did? It just brought the possibility and the opportunity for division to the body. If, if need will cause us to surrender individuality and independence, it will also cause us to surrender unity. There are people in this room that have on a mask. There are people in this room that don't have on a mask. People without a mask have a tendency to look at people with a mask and say, why are you wearing that? People without a mask have a tendency to look at people, people with a mask have a tendency to look at, and see how tight y'all got on me all of a sudden? <clears throat> You can't even say mask without it. So a person with a mask, one of the things the enemy's tried to get them to think is maskless people don't care about my safety. Well, then it's the vaccine. Well, if you haven't been vaccinated, you don't care about my safety. If you have been vaccinated, you don't have faith. When the truth of it is we all serve the same sovereign God. And he may tell one I want you to be hidden, so go get vaccinated. I can't believe you just said God would tell somebody to get vaccinated. Well, Pete couldn't believe God told him to get out of a boat either. On the water, in a storm. Which is funny because he tells Pete, hey, pal, you want to see my power? Yes. Get out of the boat. But generations earlier, he asked Noah, hey, dude, you want to see my power? Yes. Build a boat and get in it. If he tells me to wear a mask and he tells you not to, we have no business fighting with each other about who's doing what. 
Somewhere along the way, we got to believe that God's leading each and every one of us to do what he wants us to do. I've already told y'all, I think, one time before, I I done made a deal with him. I'm not going to voluntarily go get vaccinated. But if I have to do it, I mean, I want it to be on the market a while before I do it. That's just me. I don't buy the first year of a new car situation. I want that bug worked out of it. But I'm not saying anybody's got the shots got a bug. I'm just saying that's my brain. See how divisive it can be? Just me being funny to make the point. Now there's going to be some paranoid people go home. Oh, God, do I have a bug in my body? No. But why, why are these topics the topics? Why is the political world in such a mess? Why is there racial tension like we have not seen in decades? Why? Do you think it's really about the enemy trying to get everybody in the street flipping and going crazy? No. He's trying to get us to take on the topics of the enemy. Make them our topics so that we will destroy ourselves from within. That Trojan horse business is real. That Trojan horse nonsense is not nonsense. It's real. And so the enemy creates needs, he creates issues, and he introduces them to us, and we take them on as part of the content of the body of Christ. It's part of our conversation. It's the narrative that we talk about the most. And we're doing it from the position of, I'm just trying to be safe. And then he introduces topics, and I'm fixing to get to the rest of our reading, but he introduces topics like, and we got started early without a bunch of singing, so you got time. He introduces uh, topics like, pandemics and whatever's and then to get us to not revolt against it he introduces phrases brother bray like out of an abundance of caution to keep everybody safe who would have ever thought that the patriot act created in more conservative leadership would come around to be something that could be utilized to extrapolate more and more freedoms in seasons where we have greater and greater needs out of an abundance of caution for your safety's sake. And doing this, this, and this is a sign of your patriotism. What do you think that's all about? Do you think the enemy needs to do that to entrap the world? They're already in a trap. The lost are lost. You don't make them more lost if you're the enemy. The lost are lost. A blind person is a blind person. They don't become more blind. If they are blind and cannot see, Brother Boyer, they're just blind and can't see. You can't make them more blind. So the stuff going on in the world, from my perspective, is not about the world at all. It's about the church. Surely the enemy knows that we are perched on the precipice of some great birthing of revival and and apostolic uh, ministry going at a level we've not seen it in decades. And and, and I even think, Sister Singletary, that we're going to see a return of a manifestation of the Spirit of God like you guys saw during the Brush Harbor days. There there is a desperation in the church uh, of a generation younger than even me that are done hearing about it. They're done 
jumping and running the aisles over our testimonies. It's not that they think that our testimonies are moot or even the testimonies of my elders are, are, but it's, it's okay. I hear you and I've heard you for decades, but now I want my hands on my own. I've got a phone, a picture in my phone and on my iPad from brother, uh, it was of the, uh, and brother James Kilgore told me the story, shared the picture with me. But his dad, C.P. Kilgore, was in revival in uh, Oklahoma. And they had, um, f- I think it was 45, 50, something like that, people received the Holy Ghost during this revival, which was not an uncommon thing. In fact, it was more uncommon not to have that. That was the common, probably the low-end numbers. Well, he had 45, 50 people that had received the Holy Ghost, and they called them candidates for baptism. Well, when Brother Kilgore, and that was back in the day when the evangelist, whoever was there in town preaching, didn't like to leave town of those people until they had been baptized too. Well, Brother Kilgore told the pastor, he said, we need to get these people baptized before I leave town. He said, well, Brother Kilgore, there's nowhere to baptize them. We're in a drought. There's only one place big enough with that much water where we can baptize them, and it's a cow pond out here at somebody's farm. He said, okay, well, let's go tomorrow and baptize all these candidates for baptism. He said, well, we can't. There's a problem. That pond is full of water moccasins and uh, cottonmouths. And he said, well, that's not a problem. You just have everybody meet us out there tomorrow at whatever time in the afternoon and let me worry about the snakes. He said, Brother Kilgore, you don't understand. That that place is like legendary for the, the snakes that are in that pond. And again, he said, you don't worry about that. I'll handle that. Me and the Lord will take care of that. You just get these. Well, you want to, you know, we got this, oh, we got this nonsense running around now where you got to brand your ministry and then learn how to market that. No, that, that's foolishness. You, you just raise one person from the dead and you'll have plenty of people wanting to come see what's happening in your church. So the next afternoon they show up to baptize these people. And when brother, all the, the community shows up. There, there is a host of people standing around watching. And when Brother Kilgore put his foot in the pond, every snake in that pond went out the other side of it. And they baptized every one of those people in Jesus' name in that pond. He didn't even have to say anything. Just walked into the water and all those snakes went out the other side. That's where God's trying to take us back to because it's, it's more with him. It's more about our identity, our book of Acts identity. It's not about the image that we've been focused on all these years. And, and that is, that is the issue. And so I asked the Lord, I said, what, I, I don't want to be out of place, brother Bishop. When he does what he's doing, I don't want to be out of place. I want to be where I'm supposed to be. And the Lord spoke back to me and he said, well, that's the first problem. You're worried about your position in the kingdom. That's my job to worry about. I said, well, then what is my job? He said, the condition of the vessel. You worry about the condition you're in, not the position you're in. I'll put you where I want you. But that is dependent totally upon the condition that you're in. If you're broken, and I asked him, I said, so what condition do I need to be in? He said, broken to a point you cannot repair yourself. Broken to a point nobody in your family will even recognize you. Broken to the point that the things that used to make you want to have an argument with somebody no longer want to make you want to have an argument with them. The things you used to get mad about, you no longer get mad about. 
John makes a statement at one point and he says, I must decrease. John didn't say it's your job to decrease me. He didn't say it's your job to render me less than I was before. He put the responsibility of the diminishment of his own flesh squarely upon his own head. It is my job to die daily. It is my job to mortify the deeds of my flesh. But the problem is we got every, we want to mortify your deeds and not my own. Now, this has been in my spirit for days, so don't be jumping up on your little happy wagon and think, oh, well. Brokenness is going to be, and I've been talking about this for months. I, I think I did it on one of those calls. Uh, brokenness is going to be one of the most sought-after commodities of apostolics in the end time. If we ever truly get a revelation of what it means to be broken. In all of his earthly ministry, in all the powerful things that he did, the greatest work he did was done in the weakest moment of his life. Suspended between heaven and earth, hanging by three nails. The scripture says in one of the uh, gospels recordings of the crucifixion, that he yielded up the ghost, and another uh, of the Gospels recording says he gave up the ghost. He reached a nevertheless moment in Gethsemane, which prepared him for what was going to happen at Pilate's Hall. They accused him, they mocked him, they made fun of him, and that was tough for him, but because he took it the right way, it prepared him for that, that mockery of a robe they put on his shoulders, which prepared him to have the facial hair pulled out of his flesh, which prepared him to have a crown of thorns driven into his skull, which prepared him to be led like a lamb before her shearers out to a whipping post and be brutalized, wounded, ripped to shreds, bruised for our iniquity, wounded for our transgressions. And all of that prepared him to be able to put a cross on his shoulder and go up a hill with it, which prepared him to be able to lay down on that cross, which prepared him to be able to lay there while they drove nails into his body, which prepared him to finally, at the end of it all, to give up. And in the moment that he gave up and he quit fighting to live, in that moment... The release of the anointing of God through that lamb and that sacrifice was so powerful that it reached across the threshold of time and called out of eternity the souls and the spirits of the dead that had died, the, the, the Christians, the believers that had died, it pulled them out of eternity, resurrected their bodies. That's how powerful the, re the release of the anointing was in that broken condition. If Mary hadn't been there to see him crucified, she wouldn't have even recognized him when it was over with. He was so badly beaten. And then he looks at us and he says, I want you to be like me. But we do everything in our power not to look like him. We fight everything that comes into our life that was designed to rip you to pieces. It was designed to pulverize your will. It was designed to crush your dreams and to crush your anticipations and all of these things and all of these wonderful fantasies that you've got about what your life and ministry are going to look like. He loved us enough that he sends agents of crucifixion through our world on a daily basis if we'll let him to keep us looking like him. 
He was the man Christ. He could have called for angels to come down and take him off of that cross. He could have called for angels to swoop into Pilate's hall and interfere with what was going on and intervene on his behalf and take him out. He could have done it. But for our sake, he chose to stay in that brutalization. For our sake, and the problem is, we don't realize that we are a continuation of the life of Christ in the earth. And if we're going to be crucified with him, and if we're going to look like him, then we are going to suffer persecution. And if you think the persecution you suffer is all going to be by demon spirits only, I got news for you. That's not the case. I said it this morning. You want to get your feelings hurt, keep coming to church. Can I get a witness? Be acting all sanctified. The enemy knows he can't defeat us from the outside. The only thing he can do is introduce the right elements into an unbroken people that will cause us in our fight to survive to give up our... Remember, I told you the fight to survive will cause you in the natural life to give up your securities, to give up your individuality, to give up your independence, and ultimately, if you want to live bad enough, you'll give up your very freedoms. Well, if that attack comes on the church, what are we giving up in here? Oh, how good it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Let all men see your good works. What good works? Well, I don't know. Uh, If you can't love him whom you've seen, you can't love him whom you've not seen. By this might all men know that you're my disciples, that you show love, have love, do love. Love's not an emotion. I'll be talking about, oh, yes, I love him. No, you ain't loved him uh, until you've done something to show that love. Maybe cook his favorite meal. You, You haven't loved her until you've been patient with her. I don't care what you say. It's what you do that's important. And so all of a sudden, what we've given up is the unity of the body. What we've given up is our Christianity. What we've given up is the attitude and the demeanor and the posture that God intends the bride to have. I've got three kids, and do you know what I tell them more than anything in the world? You know what question I ask them? I think, can y'all not get along for five minutes? Why are y'all fighting again? And I got a feeling the Lord looks at us like that sometimes. Are you kidding me? So let's read. Have I laid enough foundation? Y'all are picking up what I'm putting down, no doubt about it. Now we are going to read with the help of God and your tenacious grasp on enduring the entire book of Philippians. But fear not, it's only about 106 verses. If you'll listen Quickly, I will read quickly, stopping only where the Lord tells me to. Everybody believe that? Say, I do. Lord, help them. Verse number one, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there is a theme in this book. I want to see if you find it. I'll tell you what it is directly, but not right this minute. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Well, now there's a mouthful right off. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now, in an effort to give you a little bit more um, 
of an impact about that first verse, I'll go ahead and tell you, for those of you that don't know it, um, most scholars seem to believe that the book of Philippians is a culmination of three letters written by Paul to the church from three of the worst locations in the known world, a prison in Rome and two prisons in um, Lord have mercy. 53 is not being kind. It'll come to me in a minute. Uh, but the three, three of the worst prisons known to man at that time. And from prison, he writes this to the church. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. In captivity, in prison, no freedoms, no luxuries of life, no conveniences of life. He's given thanks to God for all those people who are in a better place than he's in. And remember, our condition is our responsibility. It is our job to make sure that we look like Jesus, sound like Jesus, walk like Jesus, talk like him. Paul said, my little children of whom I travail again in birth for you till Christ be formed in you. What was it about Christ that was so important that Paul knew we needed that formed in us? And the formation process is not always easy. Sometimes it's brutal, which is why we don't like it. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always. Everybody say always. In every prayer of mine for you all making request with what? Joy. He said, I'm always praying about you and I'm always thinking about you. And when I'm praying and thinking about you, I make my request concerning you from a place and a perspective of joy. He's in prison, but this is his demeanor. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. This brother is an encourager to the body of Christ, being confident, he says, in his calamity, in his bondage, in his captivity, he says, I am confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you, uh, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense or the defense and confirmation of the gospel, uh, you are all partakers of my grace. He said, whether I'm in prison or walking free, this is the way I feel about you, and this is how I'm praying for you. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now, in all of this reading tonight, that's the one thing that I just can't get figured out. Why in the wide world is he longing after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ? I would have thought he'd have moved on up into the heart region, but hey, whatever. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Again, he's praying for their increase. That you may approve things that are excellent. That you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would, I, w- I would, you should understand brethren that the things which happened to me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Now is that powerful? I want you guys to understand that what's happened to me uh, has been for the furtherance of the gospel. He's trying to help them 
not stumble and fall because of his imprisonment and what's going on with him. Don't feel sorry for me. Don't be mad at God because of what I'm going through. What, remember this morning, there's always been a plan. What I'm going through is for the benefit of the gospel. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. It's not enough, he's saying, that what I, what I am in Christ is manifest only in the palace. I need it to be manifest in every other place too. So if God needs me to go into the prison system to manifest him and his presence, then that's okay. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. Some are doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. And some also of goodwill. Some do it for the right reason. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in... Did you notice what he said? Some indeed preach Christ even uh, of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. He's saying, this guy's preaching what he's doing, trying to preach me into a worse situation than I'm already in. He's trying to make me look bad. But he doesn't get upset. He says, the other of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. Regardless of how he's preached, he's saying he is being preached. And I therefore do rejoice. So the one guy's preaching to make me look bad, but what he don't know is Christ is being preached no matter what his, this man's motive is. And because Christ is being preached, I'm not going to get offended about what they're saying about me. I'm going to rejoice in the fact that Christ is being talked about. That's powerful Christianity. Brother Middleton, which I would tell you, I don't know that I could have authored this letter. <clears throat> For I know that this shall, uh, what then notwithstanding every way, whether in pre pretense or truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, he wasn't even embarrassed about being in the penitentiary, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. He, he's not worried about whether he dies. If I die, Christ is going to be magnified. And if I live, Christ is going to be magnified. And he goes further, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a win-win. How many of us really can say that in the middle of trials and tribulations and turbulence, we have a win-win mentality? If I live, God's going to be praised and glorified. And if I die in this, it's going to be, to, we can't do that because we are, we fight against everything that we see that's making us, nobody wants to be made to look bad. Nobody wants to be made to look stupid. Nobody wants to look like howdy doody at a ball. Nobody, nobody wants to look dumb. And so we do everything we can to preserve image. We do everything we can to make sure everybody sees us in a good light. But this brother sitting right in the penitentiary said, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall, yet what I shall choose, I wot not. 
For I am in a strait betwixt two. Now listen to this. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. He's saying I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. I've got two options. I have a desire to leave this world. I'm ready to go on to be with him. I want to be with Christ, which is far better than this life. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Now, if a brother came right up in the middle of the house of God and said, listen, I've been very sick and I'm just so tired of fighting the sickness in my body. I really would like to just go on ahead and cross over and be with the Lord. But you need me here. Do you know that how many of us would look at him and think, brother, you can go on ahead and go to glory as far as I'm concerned. What are you talking about? We need you here. We don't need you. We are so fractured and divided and so devoid of the nature of Christ and the body of Christ that we couldn't look at what that guy was saying and say, you know what? Thank you. I know you want to go be with the Lord, but if you feel like you need to be here, then you stay here. We would rejoice in that if we had the right spirit. But nowadays, if a guy makes that kind of a proclamation to us, especially if it's somebody we don't know, we're going to be thinking, who does he think he is? Who died and made you God? But this was Paul's dilemma. I'd love to go on and be in heaven with the Lord, but I I am better served in the kingdom to stay here for your sake. It's one thing to be able to say that. It's another thing to be on the receiving end of that statement and say back to him, Sister Evans, you're right. I do need you here. But we don't do that because we don't want to admit that we need people. We don't like to admit the people that are trying to do good for us sometimes. And we certainly don't like to admit we need the people that are trying to do harm to us. But if we didn't need them, they wouldn't be there. If they weren't necessary for my salvation, they wouldn't be there. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Having this confidence, now that I'm sure of that, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, but that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. He's speaking prophetically of coming to them again while he's still yet in jail. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Don't talk about anything that doesn't promote the gospel of Christ. That don't mean you can't talk about cutting the grass and whatnot, but don't, don't get caught up in conversations that tear the body of Christ apart. That whether I come to, Bishop and I got to talking about some things last night. Well, actually it was this morning, two o'clock, and, and it was kind of in this, and this began to bubble again in my spirit. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Now, that word affairs there, he's talking about your business, not some of them other affairs. We don't want to hear about that. Better not be none of them. Whether I'm with you or be absent from you, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit. One, everybody say one spirit. Everybody say with one mind. Everybody say, striving together. Not against one another, but together. Everybody say it again. Together. Say it again. Together. 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 For what reason? The faith of the gospel. So what he's telling them here in this passage is, whether I'm with you 
are not with you, I don't want to hear that there's fighting and murmuring and complaining and all kind of backbiting and gossip going on. I do not want to hear that you're tearing each other apart. Don't do right just because I'm with you. That's what Paul's telling the church. Now listen, we can't have this attitude tonight. Um, that one woman pastor preached and it was stuff he knew she needed. And after church, she come to the brother and told him, she said, I don't, I'm going to tell you what, you got them tonight. I hope they were paying attention because you got them. And he's thinking, you were the one in here that needed it the worst. That went on for a few weeks and every service, Brother Middleton, here she'd come. She'd say, Pastor, I don't know why there wasn't more of a response because you nailed them again. So finally, he had had all he could take of one of the saints of God, and he called a special service to which she alone was invited. And he called her about 20 minutes before service was going to start, and he told her, he said, Sister, you're the, you're the last person I've got to call, first and last. And uh, I, I just, we're having a special service. The Lord led me to do it, and I need you to be there. You're such a faithful uh, saint of God. I just look forward to seeing you. Pastor, do you need me to call anybody? No, ma'am. You're the only one left to be called. If you could just hurry and get to the house of God. She gets there and it's just him and her. And the brother preached until his lungs were just laid out over the pulpit, sweat coming right out of his shoes, just a hot mess he was right there in the pulpit. Laid over the pulpit, exhausted. And she come right up to the front of him and looked him right in the face. She said, first of all, I don't know where all the other people of God are, but I apologize to you that they're not here. They should have wanted to hear this more than, I don't know where they're at. Secondly, you should know that if they'd have been here, you'd have got them again. So don't let that be your position tonight that if they'd have been here, they'd have got it. That I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast, solid, committed, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And we'll play like this as pause or meet or something. You can just get up and meander about if you need to. Some of you are struggling to stay with it, but you just walk about and just stay awake. Don't fall out of a window. We're up off the floor a little bit. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. So if you don't do verse number 27, you are going to be terrified by your enemy. The implied law here is, the stated law is, let your conversations be at becoming the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I'll hear of your affairs, that you're standing fast in one spirit, having one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. If you don't want to be terrified by the nonsense going on in the world, you better make sure that the house of God is in the right order. That we're not tearing one another up in here, but we're striving together, not against one another. We're fighting the same fight. When you know you've got 500 people on your side, it's kind of hard for the enemy to intimidate you. But when the enemy's got you isolated and cut off from the body of Christ, guess what? It gets easy to be terrified by the terrors by night. It's good, solid preaching. Because it's in the book and all I'm doing is reading scripture. Uh, nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to what? 
For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to what? Say it proudly. For whose sake? Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercy, there it is again, fulfill ye my joy. If you want to have consolation, comfort, love, and fellowship of the spirit and the mercies of God that come, then you've got to fulfill my joy that you be like-minded having the same love being of one accord and one mind. Remember what comes first is important. You want all these things, then you're going to have to have these things and live this way. Let nothing be done through strife. Our vainglory. But in. Oh, ain't nobody wanting to say that one out loud, are you? But in lowliness of mind. This is one of the most powerful verses of scripture in the entire Bible. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You cannot esteem somebody else as being better than you until you have first reached a place that you have reached a lowliness of your own mindset. There are some people that are legends in their own minds. It is impossible. You know what one of the worst things I think that's happening to the church is today is competition. It's hard to compare yourselves. It's hard to prefer your brother while you're in competition with your brother. Which is why scripture said, don't compare yourself among yourselves. If I want the kingdom to go forward, I need to want you to have a greater success in your ministry than I had in mine. And I got to be willing to be your footstool so God can take you somewhere that I'm not going. I got to be willing to let you walk on me if that's my purpose in the kingdom. I got to be willing to be the ladder you climb on headed to success. But I'm going to tell you from personal experience, that ain't easy. I've had some conversations this week, and this was in my spirit before them conversations. Being that ladder that everybody else climbs on is not easy. It's not easy. But when I turn around and realize that I'm not here for my kingdom... And I'm not here for my ministry. And I'm not here for any reason other than the fact that for God so loved the world, which I was a nasty part of, that he died for me. And now I have the privilege, the privilege to be in his kingdom. I don't care if my role in the kingdom is to be a trash can in the corner somewhere. As long as what I'm doing is in the kingdom, I'm okay with it. And if you mistreat me, God will deal with you. My job is to be what I'm supposed to be and have the right attitude I'm supposed to have. But that's a challenge for old Scotty boy. I know the book says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But I have told him more than once, if you need help. I'm available. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. 
In other words, make sure of your motives before you get involved in the kingdom. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Why, Brother Shelton? Because if, if I think that Brother Barr is better than me, which I personally do, he's better looking. I mean, look at you. You are just a fine specimen of humanity. Here you are in your 60s and still just as trim as you were in your 20s. You're not in your 60s. I'm just playing. How old are you, by the way? Are you right up close to it? 58. Well, nobody made it look any better than you do. This man's a worshiper. This, this man has a, he has a place in the kingdom I don't have. And, and I look at some of these men like him and others that worship. Your personality is just astounding to me. You seem to like everybody. I have a tar- hard time liking anybody. Are you with me? Do people just annoy the snot out of you? I don't know what the Lord was thinking with some of the stuff he created. And I mean, some people look at me and think the same thing. If I go into a room with a thousand people in it and one of them like me, I want to know what they're up to. Now, some of you social butterflies go in a room with a thousand people in it and one person don't like you, you will have a stroke before you can get out of the building. Well, why wouldn't they like me? Because you're annoying. You talk all the time. You want to hug on everybody. Get, don't cut, do. You see, Philippians is a challenge for me. I don't like these people that's got roadkill breath, want to get all up on you, talking about, oh, I just love you. Shut you back up. I know. Mm-mm. Out of an abundance of caution for you, you better back up six feet. I have to preach this book, but I sure don't like it. Let this mind be in you. Y'all stay with me. Which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, but made himself of what? Man. Ooh. Made himself of no reputation. Competitive people are usually people that are trying to build a reputation. That's all I'm going to say about it. I think. And took upon him what? The form of a what? I'm going to tell you what. Looking like a servant is difficult when you feel like everybody's making you look like one. But it's easier to do when I take that on myself. I don't want you choosing my role in the kingdom. Okay, let me just tell you that right straight up front. But if I take that position, it's impossible for you to offend me when you treat me like what I decided to be. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? If I decide I'm going to be a servant in the kingdom and you're wrongful to me, it's going to be very difficult for me to be offended if I decided to be a servant before you treated me like one. Now, that don't mean my flesh ain't alive. And you better pray my strength in the Lord that I remember what I decided to be. Because just to be honest with you, ain't not one of you in here so sanctified that you have not deviated from that path a time or two? 
And when somebody's having a bad day, sometimes the best thing to do is let them have it. Well, you're not supposed to be angry. You can't find that in this book either. But you can find be angry and sin not. Made himself no reputation, took upon himself the form of servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became what? Unto what? Even the cross. Wherefore God also. Now listen, verse 9 couldn't have been written if verse 8 and verse 7 hadn't preceded it. Because he made himself of no reputation, because he took on the form of a serpent, because he was found fashioned as a man and he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death of the cross. At that point, God was now able to highly exalt him and given him a name which is above it. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Or like that old rancher said, are you smelling what I'm stepping in? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. His name had to be something that had the ability to cause every knee to bow. So for his name to carry the weight it needed to carry, the life of Christ had to be lived in a certain way. You didn't get that. For his name to be revered like it was supposed to be, he had to live his life after a certain way. If he had been a rabble rouser and had been a whoremonger and had been a drunk and a brawler and just all, nobody would have revered that name like we do. For our ministries to have the impact they're supposed to have, we've got to do it in the right way. And we've got to have the right nature and we've got to have the right spirit and we've got to have the right motive. You can preach your face off, but if you're haughty and high-minded and arrogant and puffed up, at the end of the day, the only thing people are waiting on is for you to get done so they can get out. But you take some one-tooth wonder that can't hardly speak a sentence together without messing up his words, that's got a right spirit and a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and they can get up and read the shortest verse in the book, and everybody in the building will be on their face repenting. Why? Because through that nature, that identity of brokenness, now God can flow out like he's never been able to before. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. He, he touched all three realms, the heavens, the earth, and that thing in the grave and in hell. Every, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed as in my presence, not as not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, come on now, get a grip here. You got a problem, go pray about it. Get a, get a word from God with the fear of God on you and, and get past whatever you're dealing with. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things with, uh-oh. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Keep reading. Next verse. That ye may be blameless and harmless. That ye may be blameless and harmless. That ye may be blameless and harmless. The sons, 
Don't complain. For what reason? That ye may be blameless and harmless. So basically, he's telling them, shut up and march. <laughs> he's telling them to shut up and march. <laughs> The sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a, cro- a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So he's telling them, don't murmur, don't complain. For what reason? That ye may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. I didn't read it even. I didn't write it. I didn't read it. The brother read it. Don't murmur, don't complain, don't, don't be that person. Why? So that you can be blameless. Because nobody, nobody knows what offended you. What was done to you may have been done in private, but if I go around running my mouth about it, everybody in here is going to hear only me. And I'm the only one that's going to... I'm not telling you you can't talk to somebody and get prayer, get somebody to join with. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you start talking to everybody in the building about what's going on, then everybody's going to blame you for the problem. Abraham Lincoln was asking an interview, are you going to attack the people that are attacking you? No. Are you going to defend yourself against the slander they're saying about you? No. Why? He said, because if I defend myself against their lies, I have to look like the lie to defend it. So if you don't, okay, that you may be blameless and you may be harmless. I don't You'd be better off to have a millstone tied about your neck and thrown into the sea than to hurt one of my little ones. Keep a right spirit so you're not harmful. Keep a right spirit so you can be the sons of God. Keep a right spirit so you can be without rebuke. Keep a right spirit in the middle of a crooked... He's not, he's not saying that what you're feeling is not real. He's acknowledging. Keep a right spirit in the middle of all this mess. Keep a right spirit when people are being ugly to you. Keep a right spirit when people are being mean. Keep a right spirit when people are trashing you on every hand. Keep a right spirit. Because it's in the middle of that mayhem and darkness that you shine the brightest if you keep a right spirit. That's powerful. What verse was I on? Lights of the world. Uh. Verse number 16, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice you all. Uh, For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus Timotheus uh, shortly unto you that I may be of good comfort. Uh, I'll feel better when I know he gets there to take care of you. When I know that you're state, when I know that you're okay, I'm going to be better. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. I have nobody who's like-minded like me. Is that not a tragedy? I don't know anybody who loves you like I do. For why, Paul? Well, because everybody's seeking their own. Not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Is that, is that our case? Would, would, would pastor have to say that about us? We're a house divided because everybody's seeking their own kingdom. 
Let it never be the case here. Everybody say, okay. <clears throat> For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ, but ye know the proof of him. You know this man. He's been among you before. As a son with the father, he hath served me. I'm his father in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently. In other words, this man has my spirit, so receive him like you would if it was me. So soon as I shall see how it will go with me, but I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. I'm going to send him, but it's my hope to come too. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Ephroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you. Now he just listed all of the things about uh, Ephroditus, um, Epaphroditus, whoever, his brother in the Lord and companion and fellow labor and soldier. He's your messenger. He ministered to my wants. For he longed after you. He has a desire to come to you and was full of heaviness because ye had heard he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, not only for him only, but on me also. Lest I should have sown, I should have sorrow upon sorrow. God saved this man's life so that I wouldn't be sorry, so that I wouldn't be full of grief and, and sorrow. I sent him therefore <clears throat> the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, finally. Now that I've said all that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to rejoice in the Lord, to write the same things to you, uh, to me, is indeed not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. When you think somebody's a little strong in, in the pulpit, just remember Paul called some people dogs and evil workers. I haven't done that tonight. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, <clears throat> of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, but what things were gained to me, those I counted for loss for Christ. I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss for whom. I'm not suffering for you. I've suffered this for Christ, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. If you're doing what you're doing, if we are doing what we're doing for any other reason than the cause of Christ, you will count the things you've lost as being a price you've paid, but yet he didn't see it that way because he realized why he was doing what he did. He counted that stuff as dung. He was glad to get rid of it. That I may win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, hello, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain under the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. 
If that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I have not arrived, he's telling them. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind me, all that stuff that I've lost and given up for the kingdom, I left it back there and I forgot them. And reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He's telling them, mark the people, mark them, identify the people that are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And everybody say, praise the Lord. We're at the last chapter. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for. Now, listen, remember uh, he, Caesarea, I believe it was. Two prisons in Caesarea, one in Rome. And he's writing this from that, that setting. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for. My what? And crown. That's what he's telling them. You're my joy and you're my crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudias uh, and beseech all that other fellow that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel and with Clement also and with my other uh, with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Remember, he's in prison. And he's talking to them about being full of rejoicing. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Lord, I'm thankful for everything. Before you start requesting stuff, be thankful for where you're at. And the peace of God, if you'll do all this, then the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Remember, sequential order is important. You have to do this stuff one step at a time. So to get to the peace of God, I've got to do everything leading up to verse number 7. Finally, brethren, now that I've said all this, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, that's not the news. Whatsoever things are honest, that's not the politicians. That's not the politicians. 
Whatsoever things are just. It's not the world system. Whatsoever things are pure. Oh, there's a mouthful. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of a good report. In fact, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on that stuff. If it's true, if it's honest, if it's just, if it's pure, if it's lovely, if it's of a good report. In fact, he said, if there's any virtue in it and if there be any praise connected to it, think about that stuff. Get your mind on Jesus. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now the last of your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. I know you would have done more if you could have. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. For for I have learned. I have learned. It's a process. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know two things. I know how to be abased. I know how to be broke and so poor I can't even pay attention. And I know how to abound. I know how to be blessed. Some people know how to be on the low end but don't know how to be blessed. Some people know how to be blessed but don't know how to go through a fire. He's saying, I know how to do both of those, be abased and to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding you have done well, that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. He's telling them, you know, once I left from Macedonia, nobody, nobody, nobody cared about my situations except for you. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again under my necessity. You took care of me, not just once, but twice. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may account, may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epiditus, whatever, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable. Remember he said a few minutes ago he was going to send that brother. He sent him, and now by the time this part of the letter is written, he's already come back to Paul, and he's brought back to him the things that were sent from the church, uh, some sweet-smelling stuff, probably some potpourri or something, um, a plug-in, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God, but my God shall supply your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. Don't leave anybody out. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. It was written to the Philippines from Rome by whoever that little brother was. He wrote it while Paul narrated it. Philippians, there is one theme that runs through that book resoundingly. There's a secondary theme that runs through that book. It is considered by scholars to be the happiest book of the Bible. 
written from three of the worst places a man could find himself. If a man could find himself in three of the worst prisons known to the known world and still write a book that happy, that uplifting, that encouraging, that full of unity and the love of God in the body of Christ, if he could come to that place in a prison, how much more should we be able to reflect that in the place we find ourselves this evening? Yes, we've some of us been through some very hard times, and I understand that. But if Paul could sit in a prison, maybe his hands were in stocks and he couldn't write it himself and his assistant had to do the writing for him. And even in that condition, he still encouraged the church to have the nature of Christ. We are not just randomly in the church. We are here by divine position and appointment, and God has a plan, and it is coming to pass on a daily basis. New things are being revealed to us. If we are going to be a part of what he's going to do, we are going to have to do it with the right spirit and look like we're supposed to look, a broken, brutalized, hot mess so that we can release through us the same anointing he released to us at Calvary. I would encourage you to read the book of Philippians regularly. Obviously, I won't be there to narrate it for you, but you can get through it a whole lot faster. Be encouraged. But I would encourage you to read the book of Philippians on a regular basis. I'd I'd say read it at least a couple times a month, if not every week. A house, why, why would the enemy want us fighting one another? Because he knows the laws of God. And one of the laws of God is a house divided against itself cannot stand. It's not, it's not a may not, might fall. It is absolutely the truth that a divided house will fall. And the enemy's goal, in my opinion, is to get the house of God the body of Christ, to fall. Fall where? Apart. Why? Because he knows another law. One in God can put a 1,000 to flight. Two in God can put 10,000 to flight. He knows another law. If any two or three are gathered together in my name, if any two are touching and agreeing on anything, he knows the law. And so he's trying to get us to abandon the law by saving ourselves. If I feel like you're attacking me, I'm going to attack you back. Because I want to preserve myself. Yet the scripture says that if any man seeks to save his life, he'll lose it. If you want to save your life, let it go. My life is not my own. To you I belong. If we really believe that, stand with me. If we really believe that, then we have got to go from the position of defending, fighting, And go to the position of surrender and dying. Was it fair? No. Should it have happened? No. I've had some conversations in the last week. uh, Earlier on in the week. Talking to an individual that came to my house. And and things that have gone on in their life. And it was not fair. Talked to a preacher a few weeks ago. That laid across the ottoman in my house. And wept for nearly two hours off and on. Just sobbed. Because of stuff that he had been through in his life. And was it fair? No. 
he saw it all that time, Brother Spriggs, as something that made him less of a man, less of a human, less of a preacher. But when he came to the realization, and, and I talked, I, I've got to tell you, I've gotten to where I talk to people that are going through things from the book of Philippians more than any other place in Scripture. There's just something in there. If I, I'm, I'm going to go to my seat. but If I can just have my spirit right, that's my job. My job is to be in the right condition, broken in a contrite spirit. One, one passage of Scripture says that he is drawn to people who have a repentant spirit, and he's drawn to people whose heart is broken and full of contrition. Well, if that spoken law is true, the implied law is also true. The unspoken law is true. If God is drawn to people with a contrite spirit, guess what he's repulsed by? People that don't have a contrite spirit. If he's close to people that are broken, guess what he's not close to? Unbroken people. Thank God that he wants to be close to us enough to let us go through hell sometimes so that he then has something there that he can be close to. If it's appropriate and you feel comfortable doing it, just place your hand on the shoulder of somebody. I used to tell people, take somebody by the hand, but I I don't like being told to do that because you never know if they picked a booger or something during church. Scratch their armpit. So let's not hold hands unless it's your own beloved here's what I want you to do. I feel like the Holy Ghost wants us to do this. Don't pray for yourself, but pray for that person that you're making contact with. Pray everything for them that you would like God to do for you. Bless them with every blessing you want God to give you. Do not pray for yourself. You bless that person. Would you do that for just a couple of minutes before we're through tonight? Come on, you're being bashful about it. Bless them. Lord, you see, I, I've, I've got all these things here I'd like, but Lord, I'm, I'm asking you, I'm going to prefer my brother. I'm going to prefer my sister. Lord, I want you to bless them with increase. I want you to bless them with abundance. I want you to bless them with finances. I want you to bless them with health. I want you to bless their family. I want their children to be used powerfully in the kingdom. Lord, everything that I've ever asked for myself, I'm asking you to just give it to them. I bless them with peace. I bless them with rest. I bless them with strength. I bless them with health. Come on, I bless their ministry with open doors. I bless their ministry with an increase of anointing. Let there be an abundance of anointing. Use them. Use them more powerfully in the kingdom than I've ever thought for myself. Use them. Give them every opportunity that I've ever asked for for myself. I'm, I'm asking you. I'm preferring my brother. I prefer you do this for him. I prefer you do this for my sister. Do it for her. Do it for her family. Do it for her marriage. Do it for her children. There you go. Come on. You feel that? It feels better. Bless them. Bless them. Lord, you see my needs, but I'm not here for me tonight. I'm here blessing them. Give them what I've asked for for myself. Yeah, come on. That's it. Lord, drive back every attack of the enemy on my brother. Drive back every wave of assault from the enemy on his home. Drive back every assault of the adversary on their family. 
Let their children feel the angels of the Lord around them on tonight. Bless their home. Let peace prevail in their home. Let peace prevail in their family. Let peace prevail in their ministries. Use them powerfully. Lord, I pray for them. I thank you for what you're doing in their life. I thank you for what you're going to do in their life. I thank you for what you're going to do with their kids. I thank you that you won't forget them. Yeah. Hayalabosha. Yes. That's it. Come on, let that anointing flow out of you. Yes. Now the scripture says to your faith add virtue. And that word virtue means praise. If you believe God's going to do what you've asked him to do for your brother or your sister, thank him in advance for the good things, the good reports. Come on. You, I, God, you're going to do it. I'm thanking you for blessing them. I'm not just asking you for it. I'm thanking you. I thank you for making them an overcomer. I thank you for it. Yeah, come on. Yes. Yes. Lord, you're going to use them and I thank you for it. You're going to use their children and I thank you for it. You're going to use them in the kingdom and I thank you for it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. To live the life of a Philippian church, we have to die the death that Paul told us to die every day. If you try to live Philippians without dying first, you're going to be miserable. Die and then live. But if you try to live without dying, you're going to be destroyed. Die first. Then live that book. Everybody's going to do it. Say, I will. All opposed by the same sign. The motion carries. Am I supposed to dismiss the joint? All right, listen. Love one another. Go in peace with God. Leave this place, but not his presence. In Jesus' name.